Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Catholic Connect podcast. I'm so glad that you joined us here. I hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you may be in our fine universal church. Well, we're really excited to chat with Hudson Biblo on his journey towards purity and chastity in his daily life and encouraging others to do that in the church. Boy, that is like a big struggle, isn't it? For uh, all people in this uh, this age today, so much impurity, um, so many um, indecent things to look at. Whether you're walking on the street, whether you got a smartphone in your hand, you're looking at a computer, we really need to guard our eyes and our senses and uh, take that all to the Lord. Take it to the Lord and the cross and remember that the sacraments are there for us especially that a confession so that we can clean up our souls and walk in right relationship with our Lord again. So let's start with a quote from one of the great saints in the church, St. Jean Vianney. Quote, a pure soul is like a fine pearl. As long as it is hidden in the shell at the bottom of the sea, no one thinks of admiring it. But if you bring it into the sunshine, this pearl will shine and attract all eyes. Thus the pure soul, which is hidden from the eyes of the world, will one day shine before the angels in the sunshine of eternity. End quote. Again, from St. Jean Vianney, patron saint of priests, pray for us. You know, we talk about the sins of the flesh and uh, there's so many temptations in this world today. Everywhere we look, everywhere we turn, there's always a new snare set out for us by the devil. And of course, the Blessed Virgin Mary to the children in Fatima said that so many souls are going to hell because no one is there to pray for them and that the sins that offend the Lord the most and send the most people to hell are the sins of impurity. So that was back over 100 years ago. Uh, It's even worse today. It's uh, Again, it's something that's available at every turn and we need to guard our senses and our eyes and really start every day with prayer. And there's a real uh, popular devotion that's uh, slipped away from us like so many other devotions in the church, right? But there's one that uh, says that if you start every day offering your day to the Blessed Virgin Mary by praying three Hail Marys at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day before you go to bed, if you do those, kind of bookend your days. And I know everybody has their own devotionals, but let's try that. I'm going to do that myself. And the beautiful promise is, is that the Blessed Virgin Mary will petition on our behalf before the throne of God to Jesus Christ, her son, and so that Jesus will give us the graces necessary so that we can live a life of purity and to practice the virtue of chastity and that uh, we won't offend the Lord in that manner. So on the topic of purity and chastity, I'm so happy that Hudson Bibble took some time to chat with us about his journey back to walking in a right relationship with Jesus Christ and the healing power of confession and uh, some of the things that he's doing now in order to live that virtuous life. He struggled with chastity with purity even struggled with same-sex attraction this is an important message for all people today both young and old as we face uh, this crisis of faith in our church this crisis over family over sexuality Um, what does it mean to be pure what does it mean to be chaste and how can we strive to live out these such important virtues when there's so much vice around especially that of lust And uh, we need to get rid of that filth in our lives. And Hudson took those steps, living life in sin. But this story is about Jesus Christ and the healing power that he has in his name and in the cross. What a beautiful story. What a beautiful testimony. Hudson's a great guy and so happy to have him as a brother of ours in the church that's really boldly and courageously sharing his message with others. So this is an important conversation I think you're going to get a lot out of it. And I ask you even to share it with other people too. Hudson's got a lot of great stuff uh, through YouTube and through other social media means that you can follow. And uh, he's a great follow and he's got a lot of great information that he can share, again, with people of all ages as we fight for purity in our lives. Without further ado, Hudson Biblo. We'll see you on the other side of the interview, my friends. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. Well, Hudson Biblo is an international speaker who uh, participates at various conferences and youth events across North America and has written many articles for various Catholic publications on the church's teachings on human sexuality. And here's another Saskatchewan guy too, and most importantly, he is our brother in Christ. Welcome Hudson Biblo to the Catholic Connect podcast. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. 
Well, it's great to have you, Hudson. And we got this running joke here on the podcast that most, if not all our guests, it seems are from Saskatchewan or at least have some sort of a tie to the Great Prairie Province to uh, the east of Wild Rose Country here in Alberta. But uh, if you ask any Albertan and anybody from Saskatchewan, I think we have a lot more in common than uh, than maybe some of us even care to admit. But it's true. We're, we're quite... <laughs> Lots in common. So, uh, well, thanks for, sure. for joining sure. Hudson. I know you got a, a great story, and I know you share it uh, frequently with others. And uh, it's it's a blessing to have you in the church here. But uh, you know, I wanted to to chat with you a little bit about about this journey of faith that you've had. And um, I think that a lot of us have a journey as well, struggling with with vices, various vices, and and then of course coming to Jesus Christ and and uh, discovering virtue and and uh, what it means to foster virtue and practice virtue in our lives. But um, the first thing I thought of is, is with your story is uh, maybe taking us back to, to childhood and, uh, and your youth and, uh, and kind of where the, um, how the seeds of faith were planted in your life at an early age because you grew up as a Catholic, right, Hudson? Yeah, I sure did, yeah. So um, that, that really, you know, I would say the seeds of faith were planted both by my parents and um, I wouldn't say much of a community that I was noticing, even though I was inside a community, but my mind wasn't really there to recognize it. Um, but yeah, just, you know, uh, parents and also grandparents. Like, for example, I, well, as an adult, I remember really seeing a tangible kind of manifestation of my grandmother's faith as she was at the funeral of her husband of forever and she's just quietly praying the rosary with the tear dripping down her cheek. And I was like, you know, she's probably at more peace than anyone else in this whole church right now. And why, why is that? But, but it, it just, it just revealed to me to the next level that the, the faith that I knew she always had, and she lived it. Um, she lived the love and peace of Christ in such an attractive way. So it, it was from family ultimately is what it was, you know, and sometimes that disposition of, of our family members, even ourselves, you know, in this age of, uh, you know, we see a, a real decline in Christianity, a decline in faith. But uh, those uh, those grandparents of ours, we have a few listeners that are grandparents. And sometimes I've, I've heard the question asked, what can I do in, in my life to, to be an influence to uh, to my children, my grandchildren? Well, you can be a great example, right, Hudson? You can be an example of yeah. prayer and of and- faith. And those are important things. Yeah, I was going to say the prayer, especially because, you know, as we learn in uh, the, the, the Divine Mercy, uh, we learn from that God bestows graces upon people who don't even ask for it because mm-hmm. of our prayers and the prayers of people all around the world, right? And so, I mean, my heart had to get cracked open and I didn't seek mm-hmm. that out, but it happened because of God's grace. Mm-hmm. And that happened because God showered some grace on me, but uh, that I didn't ask for, you know. And, so when I, I talk to parents and grandparents like all the time about this when their kids are kind of, oh, I don't know, all over the place, let's say. And it's like, you know, sometimes people aren't open to hearing the message of God's wonderful love, the beautiful proposal that our church has for us to to pursue a heart of Christ, which brings us actual joy and annihilates the anxieties and stuff. But people don't want to hear it. And so when people don't want to hear it, we can always take it right to cr- the cross. And of course, um, our family and our loved ones. Everybody still has a guardian angel. We can send mm. our guardian angels to talk to their guardian angels. <laughs> yeah, it's not powerful. It really is. It's it's awesome. And when we go to mass, all good things come through the mass, right? For for Catholics and for mm. the entire world, it says that right mm. in the liturgy, and uh, and the way we participate in mass and how much we put our hearts in it, it just opens the torrents of graces even more, not only for us but also for others. Uh, and not only in the church uh, here on earth, but also uh, the church suffering in purgatory, which a lot of people don't think about as uh, much as we should, right? So, um, so in your youth, and this is something that I know that we probably have a lot of parents that this is tickling their ear a little bit because there's the, the zeitgeist of this age, right? Of, of everything with electronics and screen time. And children have so much at their fingertips in this, this digital age, right, Hudson? Um, yep. The exposure to, to impure images, unchaste images uh, just around the bend at every corner of life. And I I mentioned kids. It's like that for adults too, Uh, even worse for us. But uh, um, I know it's a battle for a lot of parents. They want to keep electronics, especially phones, out of the hands of their kids. But even sometimes when you do that, you know, they can go to their friend's house and they have electronics. They have computers that they crack open. And and sometimes we don't have a lot of control over what uh, 
what they open up and what they look at. But uh, but I think it's important that maybe we we chat a little bit about that because uh, back when you and I were kids, not to say that we're we're super old or anything like that, and going through ten feet of snowdrifts and stuff, but uh, you know those types of images maybe weren't quite as accessible at that age with uh, with phones mm-hmm. and, and computers, but they still were around. So maybe tell us yeah. a little bit about uh, how how that started with you and how you're exposed to these images. Oh. Before I get there, I just want to say I've noticed that it seems to be really popular for parents to say like, oh, yeah, I want to get on the bandwagon and like, you know, not have my kid have a phone. And sure, that's good. But then parents don't do much or it seems to be here I'm judging, but I can judge behaviors, right? Mm -hmm. Um, To it's like, well, what, what are you doing to help foster an appetite for something more beautiful? than escapism into a phone, right? Mm-hmm. And suddenly that turns the the tables and it's like, oh, the parents actually need to be responsible and, you know, to, to, to introduce beauty into the lives of their children so that they will, 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 would rather not go onto the phone to spend and waste time. And instead would rather go and like spend time developing beautiful, healthy relationships where they feel fulfilled and their heart is filled with love and stuff like that. So that's mm-hmm. one thing I've kind of noticed. And the um, the other thing is it also seems popular for people to um, get on that wagon, which is great to say, let's, you know, it's not to be like a, a Luddite, like a, it's not to say like we shun technology, but, you know, um, an adult can hardly temper themselves. You expect like a, a nine-year-old to temper themselves. It's never going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but people want to, um, they might do that, but then they'll be neglectful of, let's say, stepping up to be the um, uh, architect of their little children's social lives. Like, that's the thing. It's like, so if, if I if I put my kids around when I don't have kids, it's easy for me to say, but I can speak uh, uh, based on what I've seen about very intentionally living families is they're saying is like, look, like I can like try to foster something more beautiful in the heart of my children. And, and so they don't desire it. But then if I put them around kids whose lives revolved around diving to screens and even if it's innocent looking videos on YouTube, well, you're still fostering a desire for this stuff. Mm-hmm. Then they're going to want it too, because that's, that's what kids are like. They want, they want what their friends have. So what are parents doing to find new friend groups for their kids? What are parents doing to collectively gather people of similar mindset and start intermingling their kids together in that way? And I think, I think there's a lot of room for parents to grow in terms of facing that and saying like, this is not about your kids, you know, proclivity to use technology. This is about your proclivity to 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 desire um, something easy, a more easy. It's it's true. Effeminacy is choosing the easy path of just kind of letting things roll instead of actually living like, I mean, living as intently as you could be for the benefit and health and well-being of your child. Now, very, very, very pointy words I'm saying, but I mean every one of them. No, and that's the now, truth for sure. And that's, you know, even for us, there's examples of that even in my in my life too that I know I need to sharpen up as well. And sometimes mm-hmm. we use a screen as uh, almost like a babysitter too sometimes. Where he's like, oh, well, yeah. Maybe just watch a little show. And it could be, like you said, small children. It could be a, the show in itself. There's nothing wrong with it. It's educational. Yeah. But but you're right. There's there's something about the the balance of, introducing them to, to to the greater things in life and I know even for myself you know staying busy is important not busy in a, in a bad or an evil way but uh, I guess maybe saying that uh, that your life is full that there's always things you've got things scheduled out you you get in there you don't have a lot of idle time because we all know that there's the the, the vice of sloth and and not doing what you're supposed to be doing when you're supposed to be doing it <laughs> and full and fruitful like mm. as people begin to discern what is good like what is a good way to spend your time in life we move from you know just being busy right um you know with, with like bu- busyness isn't good i was you know taught from the world and everything that being busy equals good but that's not mm. the case busy mm-hmm. can consume your time you know and, and consume your time in ways that um don't contribute to the building of God's kingdom or sharing the love of God, you know? Um, So to be fruitful with that. Yeah. Uh, But again, that fostering that appetite, but here's, here's one of the things too, we learn about imagination. I was at at some uh, um, 
talks about Aquinas and stuff like that and imagination. They're saying like, basically your imaginations, our imaginations, our children's imaginations are formed by the things that we are exposed to, right? So if if we hypersaturate our, our children's imaginations with like, with like videos and lights and colors, and like a casino, like boom, 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 you know, there's always mm-hmm. stuff going on. Not like you're going to bring your kid to a casino, but you know what I mean, right? Like the video, things are designed to, to completely saturate your kid's imagination and like hyper activate their senses. Then their appetite for that will strengthen. And I think that's why it's important even for families to, to have that prayer time every evening. I'd, I'd love if everybody prayed the rosary every night. But if you need to start with something small, you know, just bring bring your kids into into the living room, shut everything off, even your own phones, and and offer a decade up, and have the kids say say something they're thankful for. Uh, teach them how to uh, to have thanksgiving in their hearts, also to petition God, but most importantly, to uh, to really have a lot of thanksgiving for all the the good things that God's given them. And it's amazing what the things that come out Hudson of of children's mouths when you get them into a a, a place of prayer and some silence. And uh, some time to reflect on life, and uh, and of course go to mass as often as you can. And uh, I always suggest too, if you can, obviously Sunday you got to go every Sunday. But if you pick out another time, even during the week, whether that's uh, a lot of parishes have evening masses, uh, a nice uh, practice that I know some some folks do, and I'm trying to do too, is try to go on the first Saturday of every month. And, uh, and right take on. your kids and then take them out for breakfast. Take them out for uh, an ice cream or something if it's summer. Hudson and I are both recording this in winter and it's minus 30 where we both live. So ice cream is not exactly on <laughs> the top of mind for us. But <laughs> just little things to make it fun for the kids too. And then take them to church and introduce them to that beauty. Right, Hudson? I think that's yeah, uh, sure, that's, that's for fantastic sure. for sure. So, yeah. So you know what back to, yep. <clears throat> I was going to say is like anytime there's a chance to do an evening mass where the, like, the lights are dimmed a little bit, it's a little mm-hmm. quieter like something to like for a kid to say like wow this is not like normal mm-hmm. there's there's more there's a mystery here for me to pursue you know maybe church is bigger than i thought it was you know all those sorts of things those are all going to help you know now, that's interesting you mentioned that Hudson because we're just uh, coming or as we record this we're still in the christmas season in the church but you know a lot of us went to christmas eve mass and it was in the evening and we took our kids and they they did say yeah there's something different about this night and of course there's a christmas eve uh, but when I was a kid too, the, the, the times I remember even just, um, yeah, when, when it's darker in the church and there's a lot of, a lot of lights, a lot of candles lit, uh, and it just seems like even the stained glass windows, they seem to kind of mm-hmm. illuminate a little bit more. I don't know how that makes sense to you, Hudson, but you just notice them more. You notice the imagery inside of a church a little bit more when it's dark and there's, there's candles and, uh, it's certainly a, a great memory of my youth as well. So that, that's Beautiful. a, that's a great point. Yeah. So maybe take us back to that uh, that time as as a child. I know you're saying that uh, you're kind of glad you didn't have those exposures of screens, and I would say the same thing. Uh, looking back in my youth as well, I don't think I owned a phone until I was 18, and it was one of those flip phones, and and uh, all I used it for, I, it was one of those you know you had to kind of press the button a few times to get a, a letter uh, if you wanted to text somebody. So it was just <laughs> it t- took way too long. It wasn't even a point yeah. of texting people. But um, yeah, tell us a little bit about. Uh, about your youth there, Hudson, and um, kind of some of the things that you, you encountered. Sure. Um, so, yeah, it's funny because, like, you know, I didn't have the phones to access things, but, but uh, you know, Internet on computers kind of kind of became a big thing around, you know, like around when I was 20-ish or something. And, mm-hmm. you know, there was suddenly, suddenly a lot of pull to try to get that time with that. And, and basically it's, you know, similar to – um, you know, today with untempered appetites with phones is I, I had, I had not practiced the virtue of temperance mm. um, in, in any memorable way whatsoever. Um, and so I didn't, I didn't know how to practice self-restraint in, in many ways. I mean, some ways, obviously there was like lines I would never cross. Right. But in terms of like, let's say pursuing pleasure um, there was nearly no restraint, especially when I was off by myself. My first exposure to pornography was on some like, you know, one of those like after dinner little fake news shows that comes on like celebrity news mm. and things like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was like some weird story about, it wasn't about a person, but it was about some sort of thing that was going on. And um, well, to a nine-year-old, that was porn enough. 
Mm-hmm. You can imagine what I saw on the screen, right? And so that was the wake up. And and um, so, yeah, the, but the screens were around and that kind of stuff was increasingly on television. So more accessible. And you add that on top of the, the how to say, like the some sorts of elements of shame about not feeling good enough and stuff. And so you wanted escapism. And it was like a match in hell, you know, mm. it was like, you need escapism and the devil's like, here you go, you know, and plus you're kind of coming of age here and here you want to pursue mystery instead of pursuing the mystery of the riches of what is true in this universe and fathered by God. Here I'm pursuing the mystery of where I can find the next flashy kind of pictures to look at, you know, mm-hmm. so just a disorder in appetite completely, you know, and, but it just was, re- was relentless in pursuing that and kind of like fixation like and stuff like that. And a lot of it came to be because it was, it, it turned into um, a deep um, pursuit of escapism because of lacking the love of myself. I didn't feel that I was worth loving. And this is weird because I know my parents love me and stuff. And so I don't know where, I mean, I came from a lot of things and it's just didn't, it ha- didn't happen overnight, but the devil kind of took that thought and said, you know, like, no one would ever love you. Like, you know, look at the things you're doing or look at how you can't control yourself when you mm. are imagining, re- like seeing that first pornographic image again and again, trying to relive the high, um, you know. So, um, yeah, so the devil just used all of that stuff. And, and then that spiraled me further and further into it, right? And then, of course, down the road, you know, uh, when, when you stop getting high off of that stuff, you look for more and different. And, um, and then eventually when by my 20s i was looking at like porn that was like not straight not like it was any better still from the pits of hell and mm-hmm. just trying to make sense of like why am i attracted to this or that but what not realizing at the time that you know like it's interesting there's scientific experiments that were going on in the 60s and stuff about like the sexual palette of men like you know if uh, if they um you know like pavlov's dogs you know like they ring a bell and they salivate salivate you know if they were like show a picture of like um women's boots and then a picture of a naked woman and then suddenly the test subjects were aroused by the boots because they were Mm -hmm. associated and that's something people don't talk about about anymore i learned that in my first year psychology class how you know arousal patterns can be impacted by what we're exposed to and but yet by today's standard it's like oh if you're aroused by this or that it straight up means you're straight or you're gay or something in between Mm -hmm no questions about it it's like well thankfully by the time i got involved in educate the education world we learned about neuroplasticity and how the brain is influenced by what we practice and what we think and how nothing is really static up there and it was like i i didn't i i, I can shed this idea that experience this or that attraction means that this is my destiny you know and like the world is you know by this time i was wondering about my sexuality and stuff and the world was packaging me this idea that, well, if you have any questions, it means you're LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. Never mind that if the person who identifies as LGBTQ has questions, nobody says, well, it means you know, you must not be LGBTQ. Nobody mm-hmm. goes there, right? So a little convenient double standard. But anyway, it was just pretty funny, like how the Lord like brought these realizations one by one. It was like basically like your destiny is not um, to do with these desires. Your de- destiny is to do with um, what God has written into creation and what is true and how you can step into that if you want it. Mm. And like what greater freedom than to pursue the actual like truth of truth and not just an experiential truth, right? But like what is truly true, bigger than me, you know? And um, yeah, <laughs> that's the short version of like, I don't know, 30 years. <laughs> well, it's interesting too how, how you get labeled, right? And, and all of a sudden you can't, yeah. And that and that's that's a play of the devil too. You label and then you can never you can never leave this sin. You can never leave this identity. You're, you're yeah. stuck here forever. And people that don't uh, know Jesus Christ or even have any kind of avenue to to get to know Him, whether they're just not even around anybody to to point them in that direction. And even if they are, it seems like Christians and Catholics. Let's face it, just don't have the courage to actually you know, take them to the path to show them that there is another way. There is a life of virtue that Christ desires for them. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Wanted to and ask you know, you. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah. like, some people think they're, they're going to go to jail if they, if they say something like that. And <laughs> they're not yeah. wrong, maybe, you know, because <laughs> yeah, the, the Canada, world right. says, like, yeah, if you propose an idea that, like, like, rattles the cage of someone who doesn't like it the wrong way, I mean, they might make some kind of, I don't know, human rights complaint and then Ronnie oh, Dawn. And it's like, well, yeah. <laughs> what type of, like, poisonous mindset must a person have? to like want to throw someone in jail because they have a different idea. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's wild. Well, and that's where I we mean, are. Like, that the thought police, right? I mean, we, I don't know if you saw that, yeah. uh, that story out in England where there was a, a lady praying outside of an abortion clinic silently. And uh, the police took her into custody to question her because she was an outside of an abortion facility. Wasn't even yeah. verbally oh. praying, but saying in my head, yeah, I might've been praying. <laughs> And they're like, well, yeah, what were you thinking? <laughs> what kind, what kind of uh, prayers were you saying in your head? It's like, really? Is that where we're going? And I guess you know, the devil always um, <laughs> he he's attracted to the absurd. I, and I've heard uh, you know exorcists say this over people that that uh, deal with uh, with spiritual um, uh, with with demonology and and these things that they they mention that, and it makes a lot of sense, right? Uh, anything mm-hmm. that's absurd, you know, the devil's behind that. So. When oh, you're yeah. a young a young man and you're you're in high school, you're in uh, in your early twenties, going to your college years, was was there, you know, your peers? Did you did you notice that was there was there people that kind of came up to you and said, Hudson, like you're you're a little bit different here. There's something, you know, there's something oh. different about you. You're, you know, did they start labeling you at that time because maybe you were maybe lacking in masculinity? I don't know, or you're exhibiting yeah. some feminine traits of some sort. I don't know. Does that make sense? Honestly, that that did not happen. I had become mm-hmm. so good at what do you call it, like masquerading, like like in a right. chameleon, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, just because um, I didn't want I didn't want to go down those roads or have people kind of think. And it was different. Like back in the days, people were more aware of those kinds of things. So it was like, like I mean, like there was more of social like pressure to to not be different. I was. Because nowadays difference is like celebrated. It's like you know mm. this is so great. This is what you are. It wasn't like that back then. And basically, um, I remember just getting high fives from the guys when I was you know living unchastely because that's what built me up in my perspective of being a man and I fit in in all the ways of the ways of evil basically. Um, but boy, was uh, did it help me stay popular among my peers, you know? Mm. Mm-hmm. So. Um, I didn't go through any of that kind of like, oh, you're an odd duck kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Although inside, I felt like I couldn't relate. I felt, see, here's the thing, like I felt different. But it's, I realized now it's because I was not able to relate as healthily as I could have. And part of that was because I had spent a lot of time seeking a lot of time by myself so I could refulfill some of those fantasies that I had when I was exposed to pornography. And so... Um, when you're by yourself, you're just getting less real time with human beings to to grow in the ways of learning how to be, you know, among people. But part of that was that I didn't learn how to be with the boys. I didn't feel like I was, I always felt like I was left behind um, in that regard. And so, I mean, as time went on with that, I mean, there's this chasm between me and the boys in my mind, like this is the perception, even though I'd hang out and play and stuff like that as a kid. But um, this chasm kept widening and I just felt more and more like I could never measure up, right? And so, of course, those sorts of thoughts, you start wondering about where do I belong in this world, especially if I don't feel like I belong as a boy. And then then the questions, well, maybe I'm supposed to belong as a girl. And then, oh boy, that opens another can of worms. And And then pursuing validation in that and realizing that you get a lot more validation or I was getting a lot more validation in that way than the other way. And then just... Just trying to make sense of all that stuff but realizing at the same time like a temporary happiness from that did not equal joy it's still it was like a band-aid on top of like a dam that was bursting you know it's like what i really needed was to really find out who i was who i am in the eyes of god and truth so that i could actually build myself and my value and build my understanding of myself through the lens of god instead of what other people thought of me mm. and that was that's something that um I hope that you know every every person can like go down that road. It's like to to depart from pursuing meaning based on you know other people's perceptions. Um, 
because it, it it's never there's no joy at the end of that road you know it's you're an empty shell of who you could have been all the potential of what you could have been is wiped out and i mean it's just you're not it's not manifested mm. was there anything that maybe your your friends or, or even your family could have done to help you throughout i don't know maybe even your earlier childhood or, or through your teen years that could have helped you to maybe um maybe avoid you know this this type of a, a lifestyle or or was there um or is this something a journey that you just had to kind of discover on your own had to hear it from someone else you know um see this is the thing right sometimes like i mean i get parents come to me after let's say their kid says i just got a sex change and mm-hmm. like their, their parents are blindsided by this stuff and they're like what do i do and i'm like well you have to know that like there's a million things acting upon the influence of your you know, acting on your child to influence your child. But it, it also doesn't mean that parents, the roles of parents are are negligible in how things unfold, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there's everything, it's not of zero impact. And I think for me, like, I'm grateful for what my parents gave me and everything like that. Um, what I do, look, now that I'm learning the faith through the lens of virtue and not just like rules to follow, that's a life changer right there um, is realizing like, like in the community where I'm in, like I see that the parents are intentional about teaching their children about virtue and about like, you know, temperance and good decisions and delay of gratification and, and self-control. I see this being taught and, and I don't remember, I don't remember being taught about those things explicitly, but uh, if I was great, but I probably could have used more <laughs> and more practice. But I think I was also, I mean, I mean, our whole culture at the same time, which was acting upon me is, is pursuing um, pleasure. And so when you're pursuing pleasure, like why stop? The idea of stopping pleasure doesn't make any sense according to the ways of the world, unless you're, uh, you know, unless you're some elite athlete and you want to like stop eating candy so you can get really a nice physique or something like we all know that's true but everywhere else it's like indulge 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 so so i I don't want to pin this on my parents i think it's just Mm. i was immersed in a climate that just said if something's good go for it right Mm -hmm. so so you went for it right and then suddenly you realize i remember the day when when i i I searched online i searched is internet addiction because i thought i was addicted to the internet I'd never even considered the idea that I had become addicted to pornography at the time. Mm-hmm. This is 2007. And I, I read all the signs about internet addiction and I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm a porn addict. I mm-hmm. knew right from then. And then I was like, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. I want to, I'll know. Um, uh, I'll just stop, you know, I'll just stop. <laughs> and then I'll know. And then I realized I couldn't stop. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was like, okay, I got a serious problem here, you know? I've conditioned my appetites to desire this. This is, you know, this is my doing. Um, you know, interesting though later, because I was dealing with um, also massive issues of like uh, lack of love of myself and love of, of God. Ultimately, I didn't believe I was worthy of love or that I should bother loving God. Um, I came to realize that a lot of the falls into pornography were at the depths of despair, it was like an out from the despair. And it was like, wait a second. It's like, God can use everything. He'll use incidents of despair to help us understand how we can, you know, understand ourselves, understand him more. And I realized in that, that um, the pornography use was at the end of the pursuit of, um, it was, it was a form of Mm -hmm. self-abuse. I was, I didn't think I was worthy of something good. So I would harm myself knowing I was doing something bad. And for me, the self-abuse was in the form of pornography. And I bring this up because a lot of people, you know, they say, oh, porn, you know, this guy's some kind of perv, blah, blah, blah. You know, they just, you know, it's like, but you know, if, if someone was cutting themselves, you wouldn't just say, oh, this person's crazy. You, you would say like, there's something serious under here and we need to approach with compassion. And while a person also needs to like, you know, own their decisions and stuff like that and take active steps to become healthier, healthier minded. Um, I think it w- we would do well in our world to, to approach pornography, the topic of pornography, understanding that for many people, it is a form of self-harm 
and underneath that there is some serious issues of of love and and worth being feeling worthy of god's love that that people need to like you know uh come aware of you know and how do you respond to someone like that you know um we can respond to people who are who are in, involved in self-harm with ways that either uh, further the wound or can help um not further the wound you know so mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. a tough one to negotiate because you know, like when i tell people it's like it's like look like or you know a, a girl's like oh my gosh like if my boyfriend used porn and and I'm not good enough. It's like, listen, lady, this guy was looking at this long before you mm. were even thought of. This is not about you. As tough as that may sound, this is a serious issue inside him. Um, if he's trying to be, you know, if he repents and he doesn't want this, it, it's not about you being deficient. You know, God made you to be a, a beautiful, uh, you know, daughter of God. And you are, you know, you are enough. And your your boyfriend or husband's, you know, lapse into a pornography is about their own self weakness. Hmm. Yeah, hundred percent. Lots of the times, that's how it unfolds. And, and I think it's important that we address this in the church too, Hudson. You think of of young people; these are eventually going to be, um, you know, especially for us parents out here. These are these are kids that are eventually going to marry our children. Uh, eventually well hopefully they're going to have uh, vocations to to become priests um and yeah. uh, so we have all these these traps and these potholes around these these kids and young people um we we need to to do what we can to address that and and uh and point them to to the way of the cross you know i also think too hudson where we think of pornography as something that's you know we always kind of go the the extreme right and, and what the the extreme images whether that's online or in these magazines that you still see in these convenience stores, but it's also impure images. I always say, you know, it doesn't take much. It didn't take much as an, as an, I, I think you were, were you 10 years old, nine years old? You're, you're a pretty young, young yeah, boy, right? Yeah. yeah. Didn't take much. No. And it's, yeah. and, and that's the same with, uh, with all of us. Uh, it's not just kids, it's adults too. It's, uh, it's training our eye and, uh, and living that life of, of chastity. And, and maybe I want to go there too, because I, we, we've talked about chastity a lot. You know, you go into various schools, and I even remember when I was going to school, they always talked about abstinence a lot, abstinence from, from things. And, then, and that's uh, that's fine, you know. And then the odd time you'd hear, especially at least in a, in a Catholic school, you'd hear, uh, you know, the mention of the word purity, which was nice to hear, but it didn't happen very often. But we, we never heard the word uh, chastity and the virtue of chastity for our young people. And there's a big difference, yeah. isn't there, Hudson? So uh, oh, maybe what can we do to yeah, help our young people and even adults help us understand that uh, how important chastity is in this life and what the ramifications are eternally um, in the next life. Yeah. So chastity, abstinence, and celibacy always, not always, but many times get used interchangeably, but they are absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely different. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when people hear the words abstinence or chastity or whatever, they're thinking a church imposed rule to like annihilate particular types of behaviors. This is a control move by the church, right? And so anyone who actually thinks that is got a radically poor understanding of what the church actually teaches. It's not about that. Abstinence indeed is about behavior. Chastity though is about the state of our hearts and whether or not we are willing to cooperate with the proposal given by the church to pursue virtue so that's us that's us you know nobody can impose chastity chastity can't chastity first of all the church proposes her teachings overall it doesn't impose teachings although abstinence can be imposed because you can rip two people apart you really can but you can't uh chastity and chastity and unchastity begins up here in the the head and the heart Mm -hmm. so until i have my free will taken away i um it, you know whether I choose to pursue chastity or reject it is up to me. There's the church, big bad church can't make me do that. And so what we have this situation here is where people are blaming the big bad church as they see it for like making them be chased. Well, it's like actually no, you have appetites that you want to fulfill because you are selfishly pursuing grat- gratification above self like delay in order to per, per, per reserve your, your sexuality for something of a, of a holy orientation, okay? Now, the other thing that drives me bonkers is when people are saying, well, chastity is kind of hard to explain. 
It's like, well, actually, it's not. It's clear as it's crystal clear explaining the catechism. Do you know what the catechism is? Oh, what's that? Okay, there's another conversation. But it, chastity involves a successful, successful integration of our sexuality. But the successful integration of our sexuality includes honoring what God has authored into creation and how things are oriented. Like, so even this is, this is controversial to say, but we're all heterosexually oriented. If you look at what has been written into creation, humans do not you know, uh, go under a rug and then a second one pops out like a roach or something or like some, uh, an amoeba, you know, I know I'm saying like we require, the human species requires two people to make a third human being. So we are in terms of biologically what is written heterosexually oriented, but the word orientation has been commandeered by the world to imply or to be associated with appetites and desires. So there's a whole other issue altogether, and that's people, there's a language, sometimes in English, another language, I guess, is that we use the same word, but the church uses it one way, but the world uses it another way. You know, virtue, sin, uh, marriage, there's a whole, like, the list is very long, actually. Mm -hmm. So another thing is like, I'm finding that there's people who are, who are simply not interested in learning the church's understanding of the word chastity. Instead, they're like, no, it means abstinence. And then they just go on their little tirade about how the church is so mean for not letting some people do things while other people can do things. And there's really no hope having a conversation of someone who's bent on those ideas. Um, you know, it's it's ridiculous. We would never do this on any other topic. Be like, you know, I'm going to invent my own descriptions for these words in chemistry and I'll make my own molecular arrangements. It doesn't. It, we don't we don't stand for that right so we know there's a, there's there's words in our in our faith that have a, have a particular meaning and we look to the catechism for that meaning but anyway so back to this this whole thing about successful integration i mean that includes like here's here's something for me i had to realize so this came after it is after i embraced the pursuit of you know chastity is understanding what it really meant um like for me as a male you know, part of my sexuality was written into creation is that my complement is a female, physiological complement is a female. So to, you know, it was a matter of rejecting chastity to um, perceive that same-sex relationships are something that should be pursued. Um, and so a lot of people are like, uh, they don't know how to put the words together to try to de describe that. It's like, well, it's just go to catechism, successful integration, physiological realities are part of that same thing as i am a male it was it's against the virtue of chastity for me to reject my maleness and there you have the whole transgender topic right there mm -hmm. so i mean we know that i'm not picking on that stuff because you know people of any type of you know appetite or desire or self-concept can reject or accept uh, can reject chastity that's for sure um it's not just those ones but those are decisive rejections of chastity and I, I had embodied those rejections of chastity um, until I realized that no I, I do ultimately accept the moral authority of the Catholic Church even though there's lots of let's say bad people in the church um, it doesn't matter the moral authority of the church as the spotless bride of Christ catechism 789 and 796 um, the moral authority of the Catholic Church as the spotless bride of Christ is what is most important to me and that's why I have surrendered I'm trying to continuously surrender my attachments to my own ideas because some of them are pretty ridiculous. I'll surrender those to the wisdom of the church herself. And <laughs> I think like, I'm not, I don't, I don't have the authority to, to do solemn exorcisms, you know, but, but, but priests do who have been assigned that ministry and they rely on the church as the spotless bride of Christ, as the weight of authority in those exorcisms. If I think that I have more authority than the, the authority of the church of the spotless bride of Christ, which can drive out demons in solemn exorcism, then I am like, I'm like not thinking clearly. I, I've got something for that. You know, it's all, all, all this stuff is like, well, this is like the intellectual side of things of like the truths, like, you know, of our faith, but that, that the, it, it can be easily packaged up by saying like peace, where there is peace, true interior peace, you will have God. And if you look at all, like many people who are like, you know, activists against the ways of the church, where's the peace, 
right? Mm. So you just, yeah. you know, you talk to kids and be like, you want to be like ragingly anxious and, and hate, like so filled with rage for the rest of your life. I'm sure go be an activist against truth because the church is the upholder of truth anyway. Mm. But I mean, if that's what you want, go for it. But if you want true peace, if you're sick of being full of interior torment, if you're sick of that surrender, give it a shot pursue and let jesus into your heart and say jesus i want to pursue this chastity i want this because i mean it's it's all, all the things that the world promises about you know the, the the sexual world which will just make you you know popular or or experienced or whatever like a lot of those things are like leaving people to be you know less and less fulfilled <laughs> you know and, and then it's just that pursuit of trying to find the next person do you want to be you know, that next person just one notch in the bedpost for someone else. I mean, like, mm-hmm. when is that going to end? So you, anyway, you know, it, it, how, you know, young people and uh, used to be so uh, the desire to be countercultural. <laughs> they always wanted to do something different, kind of against the man all the time. Right. And it seems like that's sort of where a lot of people go with the church, too. They want to do something against the church. And we see entire nations almost become rebellious. You think of. Well, I think of Quebec here in our own country, right? Uh, that's, it wasn't very long ago where they were, uh, you know, a, a stalwart of Catholicism, and now, uh, you know, they're they're hemorrhaging so bad with numbers. It's uh, there's there's hardly anything left. Uh, even Ireland yeah. would be an example as well. But I was just thinking about you know the the penitential time of Lent, and uh, even Advent is a penitential time too. A lot of people forget it. It's, we're supposed to be thinking about the four last things a little bit uh, more than we. Sh- we normally would, which we should do every day. But um, when we're living a life of sin, I'm not saying, hey, you know, somebody's going to say, well, I'm going to give up. Yeah, I'm going to give up pornography. Well, of course, you should be doing that all the time. Uh, but I'm thinking any kind of sin that you have, um, you got to give it up. But I was thinking of the sacrifice of something that's that's good. And I think a lot of people sometimes forget that, that, um, you know, and you look at the saints and what they, they would give up. And it's not like it was in itself bad or evil what they were giving up, but they were exchanging it for something greater, right, Hudson? Yeah. And I think that's when we when we look at something like abstinence in a lot of ways. I guess abstinence, it's, it's fine, it's good, but really what we want to achieve is chastity. That's the, that's the crown totally. jewel of the virtue, right? And it's, totally. uh, it's, it's no different than the guy that gives up coffee, you know, or something like that during Lent. It's not that coffee is bad, but he's giving up for, for something better. Yeah. You know, you hit something, the coffee thing real quick. So people, coffee is so hard to give up for people who love coffee. Right. And so they say, well, this is a huge sacrifice, right? Cause coffee means so much. And that, and this dawned on me when I was trying to make sense of chastity, it was like, well, like is, is our sexuality like more important than coffee? Well, mm. yeah, it's a great, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a far more greater gift from God. Um, you know, some might argue, I guess, but, um, it's called, you know, sexuality is a far greater gift. So to yes. surrender that gift to the Lord is a far greater means of sacrifice. But also when you give up something greater, you know what you're made of. You, you, there's a greater joy in giving a surrendering a gift that's meaningful. You know, mm-hmm. like if I was to give up black liquor, it's like, I hate that stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. There's no joy in giving that to someone. Right. There, there's, there's joy for me. You know, if I give up ketchup chips, well, that's big. I love ketchup <laughs> chips. So, I mean, there's a greater joy in giving that gift to somebody, giving joy in giving a gift, and to give my gift of sexuality to the Lord because that's so astronomically yes. more. It's such a greater joy to give that to the Lord, and it's true that you know the greater the, the greater the meaning of the gift, like the greater the joy in giving it. It's but are we sincere about giving that to the Lord, and and and, and being open to the joy that could occur from that, you know. I think that's why it's so scandalous, Hudson, when we hear of uh, people in the church. Again, we, we need to really, dis, it, it's got to be, a, we have to distinguish the, the people that are in our church and our church itself, the teaching of our church. And yeah. when you hear uh, the sexual scandal in our church, which we had, we've had for, for many years, and, and really only a, a small amount of, of priests I'm thinking of specifically, because I think it's an, important for us, the laity, to to make sure that uh, that we pray for our priests and our bishops and, and even our, our religious as well, because that that gift that of of celibacy, which the world attacks all the time, because they, yeah. they don't understand, it's it's crazy. 
right? To think of yeah. these guys are, these priests are giving something up for the rest of their lives, but, but for what, you know? And, and what? I think what exactly. that, that's the key there is for what. And um, so I, yeah, I think that's a, an example of, um, you know, giving something up for the, for something that's so much greater and something that um, you're not going to realize in this life, but you have faith, and hope that you will see it in the next from the promises of Jesus Christ. And I think that's a it's such a powerful witness, isn't it? Just the totally, um, the celibate totally. priesthood. I know we have priests that are married as well, and, and they're they're fantastic. If you think of Ukrainian yeah. Catholics, but but yeah, maybe talk about that a little bit, Hudson. And, and sure. Give the so we, even the married priesthood. priests, the married priests, and the and the cel- so celibacy. First of all, is about a state of life. Like so, I'm yes. single right now, unmarried. Therefore, I am in the celibate state. Mm-hmm. Now, in the celibate state, I could either be ch- chaste or not chaste. I could be absent or not abstinent in the celibate state. So, like, there's like, a person can be absent but not chaste, chaste but not absent, celibate but not absent or chaste. Like, it's it, these need to be broken open, right? They mean yeah. different things. Thank but, you for that's so important chast- that we bring that up. Yeah, that's good. Oh yeah, chastity as chastity as properly understood will 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 bring joy because it's a surrender to the authorship of God is a surrender to the successful, to the pursuit of successful integration based on God's authorship, which is outside of the, the appetites and desires that we have developed based on our conditioning. Mm. Okay. So, you know, um, when the thing is in celibacy, like celibacy lived out, uh, according to the vision of the church is to be joyful. And the only way celibacy will be joyful is if it's a chaste celibacy. Mm-hmm there is such a thing as an unchaste celibacy let's say where you have celibacy that's merely includes abstaining from let's say sexual activity but then you have these people whose hearts are not transformed because mm-hmm. so the pursuit of chastity which is a pursuit of virtue will transform a person's heart over time because it's part of the pursuit of the fullness of virtue and in that you have someone who's growing in holiness but if someone is just white knuckling it through life merely abstaining from uh, sexual behavior while in the celibate state that may it's it's not geared towards the transformation of heart and what do you have you have weak human beings who eventually collapse to their desires one day have a slip up and then you have that person who was supposed to be celibate and chaste or celibate um having a sexual uh encounter let's say that's outside that that could be entirely scandalous right Mm -hmm. or 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 maybe even worse yet not not worse yet but also worse is maybe not acting on those unchaste desires in a celibate state but encouraging other people to act in ways that are unchaste like we have people who are in leadership positions it's not a secret we're saying that they want to celebrate let's say like same-sex relationships in the church Mm. like your father james so-and-so right and it's like yeah and it's like well so what he's doing there is like sure he's in the celibate state and maybe he's even practicing abstinence, but he's telling hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people to to promote and pursue things that are re- decisive rejections of the virtue of chastity um, by way of promoting same-sex sexual or romantic relationships or the transgender pursuits. Mm. So, I mean, that's insidious. That's just straight up evil. Yes. And on a personal level, maybe this is how we should end it, is that... Uh this life that you've uh, you've come back to Jesus Christ. And like all of us, we're still practicing Catholics, practicing our Christian virtue. It's not always, it's not always perfect and it's not always easy, but tell us uh, what, uh, what going to confession uh, meant to you uh, on your, your road back to uh, the straight and narrow and, and the, the road to eternal life and what it means to you today. Sure. This is, this is a beautiful, um, most beautiful thing ever is such a beautiful gift bestowed by Christ, you know, uh, capital T tradition right in the Bible there. Um, it's like the car coming out of the wash, nice and clean. Mm. It's like a thousand pounds of weight lifted off your spirit. It's like, um, it's like the sunbeam that's landing on my head right now, you know, after mm. like a long winter, you know, <clears throat> it's, it's the, it's the love of a new start, you know, mm. it's, understanding that despite the fact that I've participated in the crucifixion of Christ, that he still loves me and wants me and wants me to love him and wants me to receive his love. It's, it's so great. It's, 
it's it's the scrubbing off the mud from the window bit by bit in a way that wouldn't overwhelm me at the time you know so i mean god could just reveal everything all of our sins at once and we would just die of sorrow Mm. but he doesn't in confession he's like okay all right we did this all right now i'm going to reveal to you more more of the sins that you need to confess because you're now walking with me and he's 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 so merciful in that at the same time he reminds us of his perfect justice and how we you know we not only need to like confess but we need to be repentant and strive to amend our lives and live for him i don't know it's the pathway to joy it's such a such a beautiful gift mm. no it's powerful that's so good and that's part of our our uh, our witness here at the podcast and uh what we want people to walk away with is that having living that sacramental life, living in the world, but not being of the world. But in order to do that, you got to live the sacramental life. And going to confession is not always easy, but it's something that we've got to do. We can't just do it every every couple of years. We we got to do it. Like a lot of the great saints, uh, the popes, they even go once a week, uh, once a month. Um, and uh, let's just continue to pray for conversion of hearts in our our church. So. Hudson, it's been a, a blessing to have you. Thanks for, for chatting again. I'd love to, to chat with you again here in the near future. Tell people how they can get a hold of you if they uh, wish to uh, to reach out. And if you're, do you still do uh, go out and, uh, you know, have uh, have luggage and have a bag, will travel or? <laughs> yeah, every now and then. Yeah, I yep. think the, the COVID and airlines kind of brought that to a little bit of a slowdown, but. Especially in Canada. Yeah, I, <laughs> Nobody wants race. to go to airports anymore. Yeah. <laughs> At least we have the um, way to do yeah. it virtually, but uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, tell us about yeah. uh, about your website though, and if they can find some more resources. Oh sure, yeah, the website is just it was truly began just as a placeholder, HudsonBiblo.com. Maybe you'll have my name spelled there, yeah. um, and I just I mean it's it's just a place to get a hold of me if you have any questions or you want to I don't know uh, talk about stuff or if you're interested in bringing me in or to do a podcast or whatever. I just kind of have it as a storehouse of the articles that I've had just, uh, just to kind of, it's kind of like an online resume for me. It's not like, not necessarily like a ministry site, like sure. other groups will have it. So it's just, you know, some small, but if you find can get a hold more of it here. There. Yeah. That sounds yeah, good. Yeah. Find out more. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for everything you're doing in the, in the vineyard of the Lord here. It's, uh, these, uh, these topics of uh, conversations are not easy, but boy, are they ever important in this uh, day and age. So thank you for what you're Super doing. Important. Awesome. All right. Thank thanks you. for having me. Yeah. Real pleasure. Well, that was a great conversation with Hudson Biblo. So happy that he joined us here. What a great story, uh, great insights, and really about how Jesus really touched Hudson's life and continues to do so. And uh, the journey is not always easy, uh, a fight for purity, for chastity, but uh, Hudson's in the game, I'm in the game, and I hope you're in the game too of living in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. And no surprise, the Catechism of the Catholic Church has some beautiful passages uh, to encourage us on this road to eternal life, particularly in the areas of purity and chastity. And I'm going to reference a couple here right now. I'm going to read them to you from uh, reference 2346 and 2347. I don't know if I can read them as good as Father Mike Schmitz, but I will try my best. Charity is the form of all the virtues. Under its influence, chastity appears as a school of the gift of the person. Self-mastery is ordered to the gift of self. Chastity leads him who practices it to become a witness to his neighbor of God's fidelity and loving kindness. The virtue of chastity blossoms in friendship. It shows the disciple how to follow and imitate him who has chosen us as his friends, who has given himself totally to us and allows us to participate in his divine estate. Chastity is a promise of immortality. Chastity is expressed notably in friendship with one's neighbor. Whether it develops between persons of the same or opposite sex, friendship represents a great good for all. It leads to spiritual communion. And wow, our world could really use that message today, can it? The message of chastity and purity. And again, the Catholic Church has the answers. And we think of the the scriptures and uh, reading the Catechism of the Catholic Church Things become so much more clear, don't they? And uh, I know it's not always easy to to live a life of virtue and a life in right relationship with the Lord, but I'm challenging you and I'm challenging myself 
to do that. So let's do that. Let's walk together in right relationship with God, living in a state of grace, receiving communion worthily. And if you're not a Catholic, we invite you to join our church. We need more people, more zealous people that want to learn about the truth. And the truth personified, of course, is Jesus Christ. And as Catholics, you know what we've got to do? We've got to keep going to confession often. We receive graces. If you're blessed enough to not be in a state of mortal sin, but you haven't been to confession in a few weeks or something, just go anyways. It's the grace of going to confession. Even if you're confessing venial sins, that's going to put you, it's going to give you that rocket feel to get you to heaven and get you to perfection so much quicker. So let's go to confession at least three times every year. Every Lent, every Advent, and any time you're in a state of mortal sin, don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. God bless. We'll chat with you very soon.